because community is something we create by sharing. Sharing our common interests. Sharing what we have. Sharing our hope for the future. Because we all need a place where we can feel safe and be loved. Because the challenges in Winnipeg are not impossible to solve and we must come together to solve them. Today on the Winnipeg Foundation's Because Radio, Wolseley Family Place provides support to build community and strengthen children and families. Then the State of the Inner City report was released last week for 2019, and we'll learn about its focus on reducing drug and mental health harms in the community. We'll also learn about the Manitoba Mukluk Story Boot School, which teaches participants about the history and art of Indigenous handcrafts. And we'll have an update on Silo Mission's Make Room in Your Heart Capital campaign. All this and more on the Winnipeg Foundation's Because Radio. Hello and welcome to the Winnipeg Foundation's Because Radio, episode number 35 and our last brand new episode of the year before we go into the Because recaps. My name is Robert Zirk and uh, my co-host Sonny Primolo is away sick today, unfortunately, so we hope you feel better soon, Sonny, but today I am joined by a very special guest co-host, producer Jeremy Morantz. Yeah, I guess. Well, I guess listeners would just mainly know my voice from the stories interspersed throughout Because Radio. But today I'm at the hosting helm with you, Rob. Absolutely. So, Jeremy, you joined the show this year, um, producing a whole variety of stories, everything from going on the road trips, um, different community events, uh, learning about local organizations. What were some of the highlights uh, for you from this past year? Well, first of all, when I started working at the Winnipeg Foundation. I was a student sent uh, for my communications program on a three-week student internship. Uh, and then I was lucky enough that that three-week student internship was extended into a summer internship. And that summer internship has now extended to a, a assistant position on our comms team here. Uh, so I, I've, I've been lucky enough to experience all sorts of uh, fascinating stories for the show. And I guess some of the highlights would be as you mentioned, the road trip series that uh, that I was the lead organizer on, and that you joined me on a couple for, uh, that was fun. Kind of, it was was well, nice to get out of the office and hit the highways of Manitoba to go to some small towns and communities and learn about their local history. I'd say that was absolutely a highlight. That's great, and we are we're absolutely happy to have you on board. And uh, you know, you've produced a lot of awesome stories this year, and a couple that we're going to be hearing on this week's show, as a matter of fact. Uh, to start things off, I understand you visited Wolseley Family Place recently. That's right. Wolseley Family Place is a local organization that acts as the community's living room and serves children or adults who need a place to go for things like clothes, food, uh, and other programs and activities. I uh, was lucky enough to speak with uh, Wolseley Family Place's executive director, Emma Feinblit, about the organization's programming and actually the societal issues that create the need for an organization like theirs to exist in the first place. This week's foundation feature on Because Radio focuses on community. I'm Jeremy Morantz. You're listening to Because Radio. I'm here now with Emma Feinblit, the executive director of Wolseley Family Place. Emma, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. 
let's start out nice and general. Uh, tell our listeners, uh, for those who don't know, what Wolseley Family Place is. Absolutely. So Wolseley Family Place is a family resource center. We're a nonprofit and we're a community-based organization. Um, all of our programs and services cater to families with young children, so under the age of six. Um, and we try to provide a really broad, holistic range of services. So everything from childcare and early childhood education to uh, programs for parents to just sort of drop-in basic need services like food, coffee, computers. Um, we're open Monday to Friday, nine to five, and we try to just be a really welcoming inclusive place where families can come and feel safe and connected to community. Can you talk about some some of the key programs uh, that come to mind that uh, you guys offer? Yeah. So um, one really great thing uh, that we have here that we can offer to families is our playroom. So we're licensed as a nursery school and we have really amazing trained early childhood educators uh, who are here that create a really safe, welcoming learning environment for kids. So uh, we can have up to 18 kids under the age of six in our playroom. It's drop-in childcare. It's all free. Um, It's primarily for parents who are on site, but we also have some respite spots available. And that really supports everything else that we do here. So once parents know that their kids are safe in the playroom they can have a bit of time to put their feet up have a coffee in the drop-in chat with other parents do art maybe participate in a workshop or a parenting class get some one-on-one support access resources Um, but it really all centers around the sort of whole family approach Um, Another great program that we have is our Food Connections program. So uh, that's a social enterprise catering business, and we employ parents with barriers to employment. They get some work experience and training, working in a kitchen. Um, It's a supported work environment. It's flexible. They can have their kids in the playroom while they're working um, and then helps them, you know, move on to employment in the future. And we make really great food, and we're available for catering. In addition to sort of the more structured programs, we try to provide uh, some basic need services. So one of the things that we offer is our clothing depot. Um, So we have people who come and donate secondhand, gently use clean clothes. And we have great volunteers who sort those. And then people can come once a week and they can shop and fill up a bag of clothes and bring them home for their families. And we have clothes for all ages, all sizes, all genders. One of the programs offered at Wolseley Family Place, uh, it's called New Realities. I wanted to touch on that specifically. So can you tell us about that, uh, the New Realities program? Yeah, so New Realities is a pretty cool, unique program. Um, it started uh, because we sort of recognized the need from families. And, and I should say that uh, all of our programs are try to be responsive to the needs of families. And so we are constantly adapting based on what we're hearing and feedback and uh, new gaps and needs that emerge. Uh, so New Realities was sort of in response to families who are facing issues like uh, family conflict, problematic substance use, uh, some of those tougher issues, and and often they're co-occurring. It's broadened a little bit uh, to focus on sort of more broad uh, mental well-being. So we do a series of workshops. Um, We have some on conflict and communication, self-perception, guilt, shame, resentment. Um, And so these are six or eight week workshop series that people can come to. They're run on Tuesdays and Thursdays. um, And it helps, uh, it gives people an opportunity to sort of learn in a group setting, some basic um, sort of personal development tools. Um, People can also continue and do one-on-one sessions with our New Realities coordinators. um, So they can help uh, work on goals together. They can um, help connect to other outside resources. They can help do advocacy with systems like EIA or CFS or housing, things like that. Um, So we really try to be responsive to the needs of participants. And we have um, quite diverse participants that come and engage in groups. And it's pretty amazing to see the group dynamics that emerge. Tell me about the neighborhood, West Broadway, Wolseley area. You're situated right kind of in the heart of it. Uh, Tell me about the community and your role within it. Uh, you know, making it stronger. 
This is an amazing neighborhood. It's an amazing community. Um, I've worked here in different capacities in different organizations, and I've always been blown away by the um, spirit of community that's here. And I think people really show up for each other. They're invested in the community. They want to make the community a better place. We recently relocated um, from our location. We used to be um, on Wolseley in Sherbrooke uh, in a building owned by the Misericordia Health Center, and we recently relocated here to our new location in the Crossways and Common building. But it was really important for us to stay in the Wolseley or West Broadway neighborhood um, because that's where the majority of our families are coming from. I think uh, what's amazing about this neighborhood is there's such a broad continuum of supports. Um, so everything from, you know, Villa Rosa, where you have folks that are pregnant and, and were maybe the next step on the continuum of serving families with young children to after school programs at West Broadway Youth Outreach and Art City and youth programs at Ray um, and adults programs. And so there's really a broad continuum of supports. And I think that's another thing that really attracted us uh, to moving into the Crossways and Common building is that there are so many community partners here um, that we can collaborate with and offer even a broader range of programs and services to our families. Um, but I like to think of family place as the living room of the community and so um, it's really a place where people um, have said that they feel like is a second home it's a place that they can come and and feel like they have a sense of ownership like they this is their community this is their space um, so we're really we're you know it's in the name we're the place for families where they can come and feel comfortable by the very nature of the organization you deal with some uh, pretty heavy societal issues what is the organization's philosophy when approaching that broader picture yeah, I think, uh, you know, we've done a lot of research over the years and, and been informed by, you know, best practices in different areas. Um, we had our start from the Sisters of Misericordia who started the Misericordia Health Center and also Villa Rosa. And um, while we're, you know, an independent organization now, I think we're still inspired by some of those values. So those being uh, non-judgment, compassion. We really try to meet people where they're at and walk alongside them in their journeys. Um we are also really informed by attachment. Um, so that goes all the way from, you know, children and parents, you know, helping to facilitate their attachment. So we really welcome parents into our playroom. You know, we try to make space for breastfeeding or for, you know, parents to come in if a kid's having a tough time or to help with diaper changes. We want them to be part of it. We don't want it to just be sort of a drop your kid and go. We want to include them uh, in the process of family. And we also find that that Wolseley Family Place serves as um, an attachment place for adults as well. And so this is their place where they feel connected often. And it's they um, we have some staff, it's amazing, who have been here for 15 or 20 years. There's these really longstanding relationships of trust. People know us. People know what they're what we're about. They know that they can trust us and rely on us and so we also build that sense of attachment which I think is is really important for people's well-being and sense of belonging. You mentioned uh, like the environment and the atmosphere when you walk in of compassion and uh, like you know em empowering the people who walk through these doors how do you approach that uh, that the creation of that atmosphere? Yeah, I think it, it's a lot of little things. You know, um, when we we worked with an amazing interior designer when we set up this new space, and um, really the the guiding philosophy to all the design was how do we make this space feel warm, welcoming, kind of homey. So that's everything from the colors and the materials that we use to the art that goes on the walls to making sure that we have kind of open sight lines. It's a really bright space that we have here. We've got lots of cushions and rugs and things to make it feel comfortable. Um, but I think really the important thing. Uh, for making people feel comfortable is the staff. So we all 
all um, try to take a non-judgmental approach. We try to be really welcoming and inclusive. We try to represent, um, we have folks from lots of different backgrounds and cultures here. And so we've got lots of newcomer families who come to us, lots of indigenous families, um, folks of all different ages and backgrounds. And so we try to um, really be a welcoming and inclusive place. We've had some uh, opportunities to learn from participants and so have participants you know co-lead um, cultural activities or workshops to share their knowledge and sort of take leadership and ownership over the space we have a lot of our participants who are volunteers here um, and take leadership roles in that way we've had some of our participants who have moved on to be full-time staff here um, either through the food connections program or through uh, our playroom and other ways and so um, yeah we really try to make this a space that's that's for the families that we serve so lastly uh, for listeners out there who uh, maybe want to learn more, uh, inquire about services, get involved, volunteer. Uh, what what information do you have? Take it away. Absolutely. Uh, we do have a website, so it's just WolseleyFamilyPlace.com. Uh, we also are on Facebook. Um, you can come by and see us. We'd love to give you a tour of our new space. So we're open Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, um, and we're in the Crossways and Common building, which is at 222 Furby, just on the second floor at the uh, corner of Broadway and Furby. Uh, you can give us a call or send us an email. All of our contact information is on the website. Uh, and there's also a handy donate button if you're inspired. We did incur a lot of um, unforeseen costs with this move, so we have about $100,000 in new expenses this year associated with the relocation. We were really fortunate at our previous location uh, to be there rent-free for 20 years and so um, naturally costs are going up and so um, we're looking for the community to pitch in as well. Um, we would really appreciate financial support. We also are always looking for volunteers so we have roles for volunteers whether that's coming and sorting clothes once a week or leading a program or serving on our board of directors. We have a volunteer coordinator here, Melissa, and uh, you're welcome to give us a call and see if there's a good fit for you to volunteer as well. That's Emma Feinblit, Executive Director of Wolseley Family Place. I'm Jeremy Morantz, and once again, you're listening to Because Radio. Thanks, Jeremy. Up next on the Winnipeg Foundation's Because Radio, the State of the Inner City Report 2019 was released last week by the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. Because Radio correspondent Carolina Stetcher spoke with the CCPA's Executive Director, Molly McCracken, to learn more about the report's focus on reducing drug and mental health harms in the community. McCracken. She is the executive director of the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives, the Manitoba office, and today we are at the State of the Inner City Address, where the report Forest for the Trees was uh, released. Molly, can you tell me a little bit about the report? This report uh, uses a harm reduction approach to look at uh, drug use in the inner city, and we differentiate between problematic drug use and drug use in general because drugs are present in all different parts of society but we're seeing here is a poverty crisis that's being worsened by um, increased meth use and so we need to address the root causes and that's what this report is about. It's calling on a public health response instead of a policing response. So I, I heard that that was a fairly common theme is, is that um, any kind, this kind of drug uh, crisis is, is much more of a health crisis than a, a, a criminal matter. Can you comment a little more about that? 
Yeah, well, we look at the statistics. We have double the uh, rates of poverty in the inner city, double the rates of unemployment, um, extreme core housing need. That means people can't find affordable housing, so there's a lot of homelessness, um, low educational outcomes, and you know, traumas from colonization. We have a high indigenous population in the inner city of Winnipeg. And so all of these factors together with austerity measures, where the government isn't building any new social housing, welfare rates are actually being cut to create very desperate circumstances. And what the literature says is that these are the circumstances also when people don't have family supports that creates problematic substance use that we're seeing for meth. And so what we need then is to get at the root causes through housing, through adequate um, incomes, through training and potentials for jobs. Treatment is part of that, but it's not just treatment and it's not just policing people. The other thing the research says is that policing can harm marginalized people because they're more uh, under the microscope and get uh, put in jail with little supports and then they get more criminalized and entrenched and it creates a really vicious cycle. And so how was this, uh, how did the CCPA determine that this was going to be what the uh, state of the inner city was for 2019? Yeah, the state of the inner city is like a counterpoint to the state of the province or the state of these city address and so we talk with groups who are on the front line every year we have like a seminar style open discussion about what they're facing and um, this has been a priority for several years to do this research because they're getting people at their doorsteps who are in desperate circumstances who can't get help and they're getting funding cuts themselves they're having trouble responding and so they wanted us to do this research um, and so it's known as community-based research and then we have an opportunity to shine a light on the problems, amplify the voices of people in the inner city and then make policy recommendations to the city and the province. And so it is the state of the inner city, why should the rest of Winnipeg care? Well, we're all one city and um, you know the inner city is um, an important part. It's you know the downtown is the inner city and uh, we know even from a public health it's um, everybody gets the flu shot because we need to protect our herd as it is. So drugs aren't uh, you know just relegated to a certain geographic part of the city. The more these poor conditions uh, exist it, it can affect all Winnipeggers. And I think you know on a moral and ethical um, level, it's it's important that we look out for each other and, and help each other, particularly at this time of year. This is the time of year where we're thinking of the holidays about giving back. And so if we really want to move away from a charity, you know, hand-to-mouth approach to a more addressing systemic problems and helping people in the long term, um, then that's what we're looking for is, you know, better housing, supports for people, education and jobs. Thanks, Molly. Thank you. Thanks, Carolina. Up next on the Winnipeg Foundation's Because Radio, I sat down with Gloria Beckman, an artist with Manitoba Mukluk Storyboot School, who was visiting the Winnipeg Foundation to conduct a beading workshop with our staff. I asked her about the beading craft she teaches and her experience leading the workshops. You're listening to Because Radio. I'm Jeremy Morantz, here now with Gloria Beckman, one of the artists at the Storyboot School at Manitoba Mucklucks. Gloria, thank you so much for coming by the Winnipeg Foundation offices today. I want you to start uh, by telling us what you're here to do. You're, uh, you're going to be working with some of the staff during their lunch hour. What's going on? Well, for lunch, we're doing uh, one hour. Uh, we're making earrings, and they're moccasin earrings that the Storyboot School has already pre-cut and, and made into kits. 
And while we're doing that, and I'm telling stories about what we've done with Manitoba Story Boots and where we go and how it benefits the people. Can you uh, tell listeners who don't know what, uh, what is Manitoba Mucklucks and what's the importance of it? Manitoba Mucklucks is um, an Indigenous company that uh, sells mucklucks and, and moccasins worldwide pretty much now. And they actually fund, um, well, Manitoba Story Boot School is where students, that Indigenous students under 30 can come there and they can learn how to make mucklucks and moccasins for free. And everybody else that's over 30 or non-Indigenous would pay a fee. And a lot of that is... is uh, paying itself, paying for itself to have students come and learn. And they also get um, a certificate and a 50% discount for to buy uh, the factory mucklucks. So mucklucks and moccasins, uh, as I understand, have a very significant historical uh, role in, in the culture. Can you explain what that significance is? Well, first of all, it was our footwear. And back in the day when... Even, even in my childhood, we would hunt, and then all the animals that we would hunt became part of the, f- the footwear and or every other clothing. We, so the mucklucks and moccasins are something that have, are going forward, and they're making a very big comeback. And the mucklucks are very important for, for our people because it was our footwear that we wore, wore everywhere. During summer, we wore summer moccasins, and uh, we wear, wear mucklucks during the winter. And with the hunting, it supports the trappers and, you know, it would continue on and go forward with that. I see your earrings right now are actually the, uh, some of the beading work that you're doing with the staff here. Uh, walk us through the process of, let's say, you know, actually I'll be joining you this, this noon hour. So walk me through the process of what I'll be doing to create one of these little pieces here. Well, this is the new age moccasin that you get to wear on your ear. <laughs> Anyhow, what you would learn is a simple little technique on how to bead and then how to put it together. But the kits are actually pretty, like, they have all the instructions and they have all the holes pre-punched. So it's not like you're really working as hard as the artists that do it make the actual mucklucks but it's nice and it's something that introduces mucklucks or moccasins to uh, everyone else who has never seen and it's a good way to get uh, for the story boot school to go and show what we do why don't you tell us a little bit about your background how as an artist and how you got involved with the creation of these pieces and a, a little bit about your history as an artist my involvement in I was born and raised in northern Saskatchewan so that's I was raised in the trap line living off the land so for me I knew right away like when you go hunting what's going to happen the process of what what's going to happen to this animal how are you going to tan the hide and turn it into mucklucks to wear so for me it's been a part of my life all my life um, I I ended up with Manitoba mucklucks a few years ago um, I think it was Sarah that called me and asked me to get involved. And I actually absolutely love working with them. They were my saving grace when I was injured very bad. So, um, And they send us all over, which which is kind of neat too, because now there's uh, people that are becoming um, shareholders. So they will go end up going to their schools and on the reserves as well. A lot of people have lost their culture. So this is something that gives them hope 
like, wow, there's a company out there that's teaching us how to do our work, and it actually has Indigenous people involved working in the, for the company. So it's actually very, it's very good for our people, and and we've gone quite a few places. We've gone even to Saskatchewan, to, to Montreal Lake, and we've gone to Scowden and Waboden and Churchill, Manitoba. And uh, so there's quite a few people that are learning this. Without Manitoba Mucklucks, it wouldn't be something that they, they would be able to learn for free because it's quite expensive. Do you have a favorite story or experience uh, from your time uh, with the Story Boot School and Manitoba Mucklucks, maybe a cultural or even spiritual story or experience that this has brought you? I think all of it is a spiritual experience because it's you, everyone you meet has, brings an energy into the room, right? And then you leave with that energy and they leave with your energy. So it's kind of a connection. And I always feel with moccasins, wherever you go, the animals lived on this, on this land too. So when the animals and have walked the land, they pass away, we wear their skins. Mother Earth has to recognize us, I always feel, right? Yes. <laughs> Um, but I enjoy all of it. I've, I haven't had a, a bad day with them, not yet, touch wood. <laughs> so it's been very good. I've enjoyed all of it. Uh, lastly, if uh, listeners out there want to learn more, get involved, experience uh, beating workshop, uh, what, where should, what should they do? Is there a website? Is there a phone number that you can give us? There's actually, if you can Google uh, Manitoba Mucklucks, and Manitoba has an H at the end of it with, for Manitoba Mucklucks. And all of, you'll find on there the Story Boots School, you'll find the Story Boots, and the Story Boots is where you'll buy all the work from artists across Canada. And all 100% goes to the artists, none of it goes to Manitoba Mucklucks. They just promote it for us. And um, then they have the factories, the factory boots. So there's different areas you can go into, but it's online, um, and the numbers on there to call who to call. Gloria, thank you so much for talking with me today, and thank you especially for coming to the Winnipeg Foundation offices. This is now the second day this week that you've been here to teach our staff uh, how to make these beautiful little craft items. I'm Jeremy Morantz, and you're listening to Because Radio. Thanks, Jeremy. Last week on Because Radio, we covered the grand opening of Siloam Mission's commercial laundry social enterprise. Siloam Mission has been expanding as it continues to pursue innovative ways of providing supports for people experiencing poverty and homelessness in our community. And today we'll hear part two of my conversation with Jim Bell, CEO of Siloam Mission, and we'll learn more about the variety of services that Siloam provides, along with an update on its Make Room in Your Heart capital campaign. Just to set the stage a little bit, many of our listeners might be aware of Siloam Mission and how it provide support for people who are experiencing homelessness and poverty, but they might not be aware of the variety and the scope of the different supports that Siloam provides. And I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about what Siloam Mission does and the various ways in which it uh, it helps people who are experiencing homelessness and poverty. Well, I'm glad to do so. And, and thank you again uh, for the opportunity. And uh, as you say, there are uh, there are many services 
that um, we try to provide here at Saint Loam to the best of our ability. And yeah, the core services we often say it starts with a meal. Many people that come through the doors of Saint Loam, it uh, it starts with a basic need of um, having a nourishing meal. But from there, we also provide clothing services. So we very much appreciate the donations that we get from the community by way of clothing. So we have a, a clothing building where people can come and uh, whatever their needs are. So, for example, this time of year, there'll be people looking for mitts and long underwear and toques and outerwear and everything like that. So we have we have food, we have clothing every day. Our shelter beds, we have 110 shelter beds, and they are... I must say they're full uh, every night uh, to capacity. You know, I, I don't say that with my chest pounding. I, I, I wish there were vacancies, quite candidly. But because of the needs out there, our 110 beds are in use uh, every night. And most certainly every night we need to work with other uh, providers in the area, like um, Salvation Army Main Street Project, to where there are beds available, we work with those organizations. I think we have a very good partnership that way. So food, clothing, shelter, uh, I think those are the first three that come to mind when people think of, of St. Lone, but it goes beyond that. We're very fortunate to have what we call a Salser Health Center on the main floor of our building at 300 Princess, where we offer 10 professional medical services. And that is, as I have come to know, is just a very much needed uh, part of the operation at Siloam. When you're dealing with people that experience homelessness, health care can take, or your, one's health, a physical health can take a beating when you're living on the streets. So we're very fortunate. We have a staff, but we also have uh, volunteer professionals that come in on a regular basis that serve uh, 10 professional medical disciplines, and they're everything from uh, general practitioner to chiropractic to dental to uh, optical optometrists, uh, massage therapy, physio, all those types of things, uh, because that's a that's a critical critical part of our operation, um, and that extends to uh, mental health as well. And we're paying very close attention to mental wellness in terms of what we can do. That is very much a need in our community. I think everybody knows that. So we're paying very close attention to see what we might be able to do in the future with that one. We have a housing unit, uh, transitional housing over in the Wolsey area. It's a 85-unit, I would say, uh, apartment complex that we've had for eight or so years. Transitional housing, um, we call it the Madison. So it gives people a place to live, but we also have staff there that work with them to try to identify some of the needs and some of the things that they need help with in terms of trying to transition into everyday life again. So whether that be uh, job training, permanent housing, uh, all those types of things. And we also have transition services staff uh, here at 300 Princess, which is basically uh, a group of wonderful people on our fourth floor that will work with people one-on-one -on -one to try to get a, a handle on what the challenge might be for somebody coming in the doors of Siloam and then try to uh, help them to transition in, in, in whatever capacity. And again, that can, be, that can be housing, that can be uh, trying to find oh, a way to get them back into the workplace, into the, in the, the workforce, those types of things. So and, of course, we have spiritual care. People that walk through the doors of Siloam oftentimes are looking for a quiet place 
or somebody to talk to on staff that has a background with respect to spiritual care. So that is a key key part of what we do as well. So it's a whole range uh, of services. Quite frankly, when I started here three years ago, I had no idea as to the level of the services that were provided here at St. Loman. So that's basically the base of the core services. And now, of course, with um, social enterprise in the laundry, that was something that we have been talking about for quite some time. And so for us to have the ability to go forward with it with partners and with the Winnipeg Foundation, which was a critical, critical conversation and partnership right from the get-go, we're really excited about um, the fact that's been in operation for a couple of months, and we look forward to expanding on that. To go back to the renovations and expansions, um, Siloam began construction on its expansion last year, and we had a chance to kind of see the construction in progress uh, earlier this year as part of an update on the Make Room in Your Heart Capital campaign that uh, Siloam had launched. Can you give us an update on where the campaign is at and how far along the expansions have come? Yes, and uh, once again, thanks for the opportunity to speak to that. We describe it as a two-story link, Link meaning it's going to join our building here at 300 Princess to our um, phase one of the capital campaign was actually the renovated new uh, renovated dining hall on Stanley. So the two-story link is is going to join our two buildings, which I think will make for a a much more efficient uh, operation uh, from that perspective. So it was uh, in total, including the renovated dining hall, it was a, it was a $19 million project. We're at about $17.5 million that has been uh, either received or pledged to, including over $4 million that has been committed by levels of government, and the balance to date of over $13 million has basically come from individual and business commitments, foundation commitments, during the course of the last few years since the uh, project began. In terms of where it's at, I'm very pleased to inform everyone that we are on time and we are on budget, so by meaning on time, our expectation all along was to hopefully be able to transition into uh, into the new two-story link in the spring of 2020. So that's only a matter of four or five months away. And uh, right now, in accordance with plan, granted there's still work to be done, but we're very pleased and encouraged to know that we're on time and on budget with the project. And Yes, it's it's going to, because we need the space, it's called make room for a reason. We, we need to make room for all of the services that I spoke about a few minutes ago. So it's going to allow us to make room for more beds. It's going to allow us to make room for more transition staff and to make more space for some of the areas that we need it. But quite frankly, we've also left room um, for services that we think will, that we need to pursue in terms of making our services that much more holistic and working with the community to be a partner so that we can put a significant positive dent in this challenge that we call homelessness in the city of Winnipeg and, and in our province. We're just about out of time, but is there anything else you'd like to add about uh, about the commercial laundry before we sign off? Well, I just uh, I just want to say again, I just want to say thank you to everybody that has specifically engaged with this the concept that we call social enterprise uh, laundry, the Winnipeg Foundation, other donors, 
that have really stepped up in a very generous way that allowed us to put this dream into reality. And I would say to all, all your listeners and all those that give generously to Siloam for other initiatives and daily programs, you truly allow us to think ahead of the curve in terms of what we can do next in terms of what we call a holistic model. And so social enterprise and housing are right at the top of our list. And I would suggest to people listening that um, we're also going to be paying very close attention to mental wellness and addictions. We know that we're never too far away from uh, a headline or, or a media story that is uh, somewhat dominant in our, in our community nowadays with respect to the challenges around that. And we're pay- trying to pay very close attention. But the reason we can pay close attention and try to put ideas on the table is because of an outstanding caring community. And any opportunity I get a chance to to say thank you for the public uh, and our community for their generosity in that way, uh, I like to do it because uh, without volunteers, without generosity in our community, we can't make social enterprises happen. They They happen because people have stepped up and supported the concept, and we are extremely grateful and just want people to know that we're already seeing the results and uh, the community should take credit for that. Thank you so much to Jim Bell, CEO of Siloam Mission, for speaking with me. And to learn more about Siloam Mission, you can visit siloam.ca. That's S-I-L-O-A-M dot C-A. Up next, Nolan Bicknell will be joining us momentarily to share some highlights from the Winnipeg Foundation's Because and Effect podcast. Welcome back to the Winnipeg Foundation's Because Radio. Robert Zirk here with you today, and we are now joined in studio by Nolan Bicknell. He is the host of the Because and Effect podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation. Nolan, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Happy holidays. So season two of Because and Effect wrapped up last week with Ron McLean's episode and you have a new season coming out in 2020 but we thought it would be a good opportunity with it being the holiday season people are starting to think about giving and uh, we wanted to revisit a couple of conversations from people who have done a lot to give back to our community. As a matter of fact, uh, they were winners of some of the 2019 Manitoba Philanthropy Awards, namely Paige Proctor as Outstanding Youth in Philanthropy and Jim Gauthier, who won Outstanding Philanthropist. Yeah, both were fantastic conversations for different reasons. You know, they were, there's probably about a 60-year age difference between them. Paige is in her 20s and and, uh, Jim's north of 80 now. So, you know, it's just cool to talk to people that no matter what age they are, they really care about giving back and really care about helping those in need. Um, so we wanted to share a couple of clips from each of the conversations, but um, as always, if you want to hear the full conversations, they are up at becauseandeffect.org. Excellent. So Paige is the founder of the Coffee House to End Cancer event, and I think you mentioned to date she's the youngest guest who's ever been on the Because and Effect podcast. Tell us a little bit about your conversation. Super positive, super energetic, very bubbly, very very optimistic about things. She was always laughing and telling and telling good stories and smiling, and it was really kind of, you know, it was nice to be around. It was kind of infectious. Her positive attitude. It was really cool. I could. Definitely. I mean, we spoke for about 45 minutes and I could definitely see within five minutes why so many people supported uh, her fundraiser event, which has now raised over $130,000 for Cancer Care Manitoba over the last 10 years. 
she talked about her age actually and and how it might actually have been a good thing for her to be so young when she first came up with the idea for this annual event way back when she was only 16. You know, we're very innocent in that we don't really think about the money and the logistics of everything. We just kind of have an idea and we go with it. So I think having youths in philanthropy is extremely important because they are the ones that kind of drive that dream in the beginning and they aren't bogged down by you know university and money and bills like I don't think that at 25 I would have thought to start this but at 16 all I really had to worry about was who was going to drive me and um like you know I really didn't have like it was I could it was something that I could just focus on and you know as you get older I think it's harder for you to start something like that it's not impossible but I think as a child as a youth as a young person you just have so much innocence that like anything is possible that's amazing the amount of impact that she's had um, even at such a young age and coming up with that idea to uh, to raise money and support a cause that was really close to her heart um, you know she's absolutely I would say she's absolutely an inspiration to people. Absolutely, yeah. And she actually kind of talked about what that's like and how being honored by the people who um, recommended her for to win this award and who nominated her for the award, she they were people that she looked up to growing up. And, and now it's all kind of come full circle now that she's essentially considered one of their peers. On Saturday, I was given the nomination letters that um, had been written in my on my behalf. And I did get quite emotional reading them because... Um, all of the letters that I received uh, were from people who I look up to and who I think are leaders in change. And it really like overwhelmed me in a good way that these people also saw me in the way that I grew up. Like I think one of them was like my middle school teacher. One of them was a uh, high school teacher that I had that had worked with special needs kids and like all of them I aspired to be one day and now they're saying, oh yeah, like she's a leader and that's so, I think that was probably the most special part of this, of accepting this award is like that the people that I look up to also feel the same way about me. So going from Paige, who's in her 20s as the outstanding youth in philanthropy, to Jim Goche, who was the outstanding philanthropist, and he's had a long career, he's in his 80s now. Tell me a little bit about the contrast between their conversations. Well, they both come from different backgrounds and different eras of, of time, obviously different decades, but they're similar in their desire to improve the lives of others. Like Jim has been working uh, through the Dream Factory and who's been working alongside of the Winnipeg Humane Society, really supports kids and supports animals. And that's been his two kind of main f areas of focus. And I asked Jim about any advice that he'd give to his younger self if he could speak to him. And I loved his answer. I don't think I would change a thing, and if I was 10 years old and I could wish for what I got today, that's what I'd wish for, you know. And I'd take ev all the tribulations that went with it to be where I am today, because sure. it was a great learning uh, experience. He seems very grateful. It seems like gratitude is really, uh, you know, at the center of his life. Gratitude, humility, he was very thankful. He understood how much Winnipeg has given to him and, and felt almost an obligation to give back. I think that might have even stemmed from uh, his family going bankrupt and his business going bankrupt early in his career. He told a really great story about his late wife, Joyce, having to co-sign for a loan for a second attempt at making it in the autom automotive industry and how that leap of faith might have been what really led him to all his success. My wife was a great, great supporter, and uh, at the time we took our first dealership, she signed personally with me at, at the bank, and of course, uh, we, as I say, we lost everything, and we had to start all over again, and um, at this time now, I'm able to buy this uh, American Motors dealership, uh, Pan Am Motors, 
and I needed her to sign again. And I said, Joyce, I need that signature. Well, she says, you know what they usually say, once... Uh, Fool me once, shame yeah, on you? Yeah. Is this one going to be a good one? I said, yeah, this will be a good one. I'm positive. I got good feelings with it. Okay, so where do I sign? So she signed. But that was the point of... Uh, I could have said, well, you know what? I'm not going to do it again. I took a shot. It didn't work. I'm just going to get a job as a car salesman. Maybe one day I'll be a sales manager and... That'll be the end of it. I'm not going to risk the family anymore. But I uh, I didn't quit, and uh, neither did she. And that's why today we're able to sit with you and talk about philanthropy. That's a great story of perseverance and, uh, and not giving up and trying again from a great man. And look at where that took him and uh, how much he's been able to give back as a result of that. So your conversation with Jim was really wonderful, as all of these podcasts have been. Well, thank you. And like you mentioned earlier, the next season is going to be launching in January. Uh, but in case people haven't heard the episodes, there's 26 episodes in the first two seasons. Uh, you can go to becauseandeffect.org to hear all 26 or basically anywhere you get your podcasts. So I listen to mine on Spotify. Uh, I know lots of people go on Apple Podcasts or there's the Google Podcast player. But basically anywhere you get your podcast, just search Because and Effect or uh, go to becauseandeffect.org and you can hear all 26 episodes. Nolan, thank you so much again for joining us today and uh, sharing some highlights from this past year of Because and Effect. Thank you and happy holidays to you and all our listeners out there today. That's a wrap for today's episode of Because Radio. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to all of our guests who joined us today. Because Radio is produced by the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with 93.7 CJNU-FM. Our Because Radio theme music, Call of the North, was written and performed by Micah Ehrenberg. You can find more of his music at micaehrenberg.com. If you'd like to listen to previous episodes or subscribe to our podcast, visit becauseradio.org again. That's becauseradio.org. If you have any feedback about today's show, ideas for stories, or Winnipeg Impact Makers, please give us a call at 204-944-9474, extension 360. Or you can email us at becauseradio at wpgfdn.org. And you can also follow the Winnipeg Foundation on social media at WPGFDN on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Jeremy Moran signing off for Because Radio. And I'm Robert Zirk. On behalf of my co-host, Sonny Primolo, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week with part one of our Because Recap. From all of us at the Winnipeg Foundation's Because Radio, happy holidays. <laughs>